You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. In the way that they were to transport the ark from Abinadab's home back to the city of Jerusalem, they weren't doing it in the prescribed way that God had laid down to Moses in the book of Numbers, and no one took exception. No one raises any objections. Not the Levites, not the priests. You would think at least the priests would have known better. You see, what do we take away from this? That when God's word is not taught, people become ignorant of his will. Scripture teaches us that Jesus is the living word of God. Today, Pastor Mike recounts the story of David bringing the ark back to Jerusalem and how God was displeased in the manner it was done. Do you know that God has a prescription for how you are to worship Him? Jesus said you are to worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit, in you, bears witness to the truth of who He is and His character, which you will find in the written truth of His Word. Do you daily feed on the living Word? Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6, as he begins his message, The Danger of Spiritual Ignorance. Second Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the Ark of God, that is the Ark of the Covenant, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. Okay, so here in chapter 6, of 2 Samuel, we see David making plans to bring the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, up to the city of Jerusalem. And that is the article of sacred furniture that represented the covenant that God had made between God and his uh, people, but it also indicated his presence being amongst his people. A little bit of background here. This uh, was the Ark of the Covenant, which God had commanded Moses to make more than 400 years before David's time. It was a wood box. Uh, the word ark literally means box or uh, chest. It was completely covered with gold and with an ornate gold lid on top known as the mercy seat. It was three feet nine inches long, two feet inches wide, and two feet three inches high. And in it were the tablets of the law, that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai, that is the Ten Commandments, a jar of manna, 
the manna that God provided for his people Israel as they exited out of Egypt and traveled around in the wilderness before they actually entered into the land of promise, the land of Canaan. God miraculously provided manna for them to eat. So there was a jar of manna also contained within the ark. And then lastly, Aaron's rod that miraculously budded as a confirmation of his leadership. So that's just some of the background concerning the Ark of the Covenant. But notice, let's go back to our text. Notice there in verse 2. Notice the phrase, the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. And it was there where the Shekinah glory of God appeared unto his people. And so it was there before the cherubim where the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, appeared before the people of Israel. So this text of scripture here, there in verse 2, the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. So the ark of God represented the immediate presence and glory of God in Israel. And so David considered it a high priority to bring the ark out of obscurity, where it's been in obscurity for the last 20 years, and back into prominence. You see, David wanted Israel to be alive with a sense of the near presence and glory of God. And listen, how important is that for us? I mean, think about it. You know, with all of the things that we go through in our life's experience, how important is it that we also uh, have that sense of the presence of God in our lives? That his hand is upon us. No matter what we're facing, no matter what we're dealing with, we know that God is with us. So how important was that? Well, David understood that. And so he moves in this direction. And also, I want to remind you that, remember, last time we talked about this, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, was the place where God chose to put his name. It was there where David built a tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant would be placed inside of. But later on, David accumulated all of the materials that went into the building of the temple there also in the city of Jerusalem. So it was there that God had chose to place his name. And so the Ark of the Covenant was intimately connected with the presence of God. So therefore, it seems logical to have it placed in Jerusalem where he could be at the center of his people's worship. William Blakely, in his commentary, commenting on this subject, said, and I quote, David seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, trusting that other things shall be added unto him. What a contrast to the ordinary rule of public life and of private life, too. Where shall we find the public men whose first concern is for the honor of God and who really believe that the favor of the highest is the true palladium of their country's welfare? So how important it is that we secure the presence of God. Okay, and so in this chapter, David begins to implement his plans, that is, bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into the city of Jerusalem, erecting a tabernacle, as I had already mentioned, even sort of like the tabernacle in the wilderness, to receive the Ark and composing a special hymn that he taught to the Levites. In fact, if you quickly turn with me, I don't know if you knew this or not, here's a little bit of trivia, but turn quickly with me to the 24th Psalm. And this psalm was constructed by David. You know that David wrote many of the psalms, right? And the book of psalms was actually the hymnal 
uh, for the nation of Israel. And many of the psalms that are recorded there for us in this book of the Bible were sung, were put to music, and they sang and worshipped the Lord. So Psalm 24 was constructed by David for this particular occasion. So let's quickly read it. I think it's worthwhile. So Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. So he answers his own question. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Lift up your heads, O you gates. And now he's thinking about the city of Jerusalem and the ark being brought into the city. And be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So quite a songwriter David was. Not only was he a king of a a fierce warrior, but he was also a a tremendous songwriter, right? And uh, many of his psalms were actually constructed and written by uh, David. And as I've already mentioned, this 24th Psalm was written by David specifically uh, for this occasion. Okay, so he intended then to sing the psalm of praise as the ark began its final approach to the gates of the city of Jerusalem. So now all that remained was to transport the ark from the house of Abinadab. And remember, Abinadab was the priest, and the ark of the covenant was with Abinadab in his house for some 20 years. But it was to be brought back to the city of Jerusalem. And from Abinadab's house to the city of Jerusalem was approximately about nine miles. Now notice there in verses 1 and 2, So to honor God and also to protect themselves from a possible attack by the Philistines, who were their enemies, David again summons his army of, notice, 30,000 men. And they are accompanied by as many of the people, priests and Levites, as wish to participate in this auspicious occasion. In fact, the call to join David is recorded first in 1 Chronicles in chapter 13 and verses 1 through 3. So I want to encourage you sometime during the week, you know, check that out. So David is inviting all of the people throughout all of Israel to join them for this particular occasion, that is bringing the ark back to the city of Jerusalem. And David's shown, if you think about this, David's shown great uh, wisdom here by involving the whole nation in this joyful celebration because he wants them to play a vital part in what is going on. He wants to leave them with the sense of that they had participated in bringing God into the middle and the center of their nation. And their numbers are so great that they line both sides of the path from Kirith-Jerim, which is also known as Baal-Judah, from Abinadab's house where the ark was previously placed, 
to the city of Jerusalem. So nine miles, think about it, a stretch of nine miles. And they line the road from that location all the way to the city of Jerusalem. That's how great a company of people were there on this occasion. Nine miles. So they line both sides of the corridor that led to the city of Jerusalem. So truly, this was a blessed festival that was taking place. And in spirit, as I mentioned before, it represented bringing God into the very midst of the nation. Now, let's go back to our text. Let's read verses 3 through 5. So, they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill, and Uzzah and Ehio, the son of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, as I mentioned before, it was there for 20 years, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord, and all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, on uh, sistrums and cymbals. So truly, this was a joyous occasion. From what we gather here, this was quite a production. But let me also add that this was something that didn't please God. You say, why was that? Well, I'll get to that in just a moment. You know, as it relates to worship, and I hope that this gives you a different perspective and take on what true worship is really all about. You know, we are often tempted to worship, to judge a worship experience by how it makes us feel. I'm not suggesting that it shouldn't make you feel good or that we're very close to God. You know, and I hope during the time in our service that we've dedicated to worshiping the Lord before I come and and share God's word that, you know, it has that kind of an effect upon you that we just sense the presence of God within this facility and we feel that closeness of, of God. But it's so much more than that. But nevertheless, we are often tempted to judge a worship experience by how it makes us feel. But when we realize that worship is really all about pleasing God, that's what it's all about. It's not all about the favorite song, the favorite Christian song that we sing, and we all have our favorite Christian songs. I have my favorites, you know. But that's not really what it's all about. It's not about pleasing ourselves. It's not about our own emotions, although our emotions do come into play. It's all about pleasing God. And in those moments, we are driven to his word so we can know how he wants to be worshipped. And so there are so many verses of scripture, texts of scripture in the Old Testament and New Testament alike that instructs us on the correct way that we are to worship the Lord. Okay, so with that said, now keep that in mind, because there was a very specific way that they were to worship uh, the Lord. There was a very special way that they were to transport the Ark of the Covenant, and it seems as if that had escaped the people in this procession. Intention plans may go wrong, and such is the case before us. You see, with misguided zeal, Probably Abinadab's grandsons placed the ark in a new ox-drawn cart that was made especially for this occasion to take it back to the city of Jerusalem. So you're probably thinking at this point, okay, so pastor, what's the problem then? 
Well, listen, the problem was that only the Levites prescribed by the law in the book of Numbers in chapter 3 were to carry the ark. And what's interesting to me here is that no one raises any objections. Not the Levites, not the priests. Right? In the way that they were to transport the ark from Abinadab's home back to the city of Jerusalem, they weren't doing it in the prescribed way that God had laid down to Moses in the book of Numbers, and no one took exception. No one raises any objections. Not the Levites, not the priests. You would think at least the priests would have known better. You see, what do we take away from this? That when God's word is not taught, people become ignorant of his will, and particularly the way that they worship him. I'm just amazed the way that people construct their services in some churches. And I'm not suggesting that this takes place in every church, but, you know, the emphasis upon things that are really not important within their uh, services. We need to go back to the Word of God to receive the instruction on the way that we are to have our services being held, whether it relates to worshiping the Lord or teaching the Word or fellowship or receiving communion or any of the ordinances of the Lord. We always need to go back to the Word. But obviously there was an absence of the instruction of the Word of God during this period of time. So here's the danger in all of that. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. From the book of Hosea in chapter 4 and verse 6. Notice there we are told, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. So obviously the scriptures weren't being taught at this period of time in the history of the nation of Israel. And that was the problem. And that was the very reason why they were about to be destroyed. I also will reject you from being priests for me, because you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. For the moment, God tolerates this violation of his explicit command. And the people's praise to the accompaniment of instruments is acceptable unto him. That is, just for the moment. Okay, let's go back to our text now. Verses 6 and 7. And when they came to Nachon's threshing floor, and the threshing floor back then, you know, was where they separated the wheat from the chaff. When they came to Nachon's threshing floor, so we're given the exact location, so that the Ark of the Covenant has already been placed upon this cart, and they're moving now the period of nine miles, and they come to this particular uh, destination. And Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. What in the world is going on? So as the cart carrying the ark comes near the threshing floor of Nashon, Something happened to cause the ox that was carrying the cart, heading to Jerusalem. One of the oxen stumbled. Maybe he tripped over a rock. We really don't know. We're not given any of the details. And notice here, according to our text, the cart begins to tip. And Uzzah steps forward to steady the ark, and God is angered, and he strikes him dead. Now, once again, you're probably thinking, what did he do to deserve this? Well, let me give you a possible explanation 
and try to answer that question for you. Maybe it was the way that he went about treating the Ark of the Covenant as something as being ordinary. Remember what it represented. It represented the covenant that God had made between himself and Israel, but it also represented his presence being amongst the people of uh, God. So maybe Uzzah was treating it as some ordinary thing. It may be that having cared for the ark for many years, remember it was at his grandfather's home for a period of 20 years, Abinadab's home, he had become inwardly proud of the privilege bestowed upon him. So remember he dealt with it, he treated it in a very irreverent kind of a way. And when the ark was in danger of falling, his pride caused him to act in a way that drew attention to himself. You know what I really think is going on here? I think that one of the great lessons Israel had to yet learn was of the unapproachable majesty and holiness of the Lord of glory. So anyway, here's the first step towards the inauguration of a new era of worship and a sense of presence of God in their midst. And Uzzah's death conveys a warning to David and the people. What was that warning? What was the lesson to be learned here? Nothing connected with God is ordinary. Let me say that again. Nothing connected with God is an ordinary thing. Remember who it is that we are in fellowship with, having communion with. This is so important that we learn this lesson. You know, I think the equivalent, and remember now, this is something that God was doing in a new way amongst his people in Israel. You know, I think the equivalent of this in the New Testament would be that of Ananias and Sapphira. And that account is recorded for us in the book of Acts in chapter 5. And there in that particular chapter in the book of Acts in chapter 5, the Bible tells us that uh, the believers had all things in common. And they sold the things that they had, and they distributed to those who did not have. And in that chapter, we're introduced to these characters, Ananias and Sapphira, that we are told that they sold a parcel of land. And they gave a portion of what they had received from that sale to the apostles to be distributed to those who had need. But the problem was that they lied about it. They told them that they had given all that they had received in the sale of their property, which was not the case. They only gave a portion. And listen, God wouldn't have that. What was God doing there? Think about it. That was the inauguration of the first church, the first century church. So he wasn't going to have any hypocrisy in the beginnings and the origins of that church, right? And so what did he do? He struck Ananias and Sapphira dead, right? So that they might learn a lesson, so that the church might learn the lesson, that God does not tolerate hypocrisy. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of 2 Samuel. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can listen online, just go to the Resources tab. Otherwise, you can find them on oneplace.com. 
and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You get directions and service times at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram too. Just follow the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House. There's a place for